0: Welcome to Neither the Time nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who, the Sarah Jane Adventures, Torchwood. This week we're back to Doctor Who, folks. Uh, my name is David, and as always, I am joined by the pacifistic Matt. Hello there. So, Matt, the Daleks this week. Mm. The original, you might
1: say. Do you mind if I start with a, a quick message? Of course, go ahead. Um, because. I I wanted to celebrate this week our friends at My Adventure in Time and Space. Hi folks, it's Future Matt here. I always get the name of Shona and Caroline's podcast wrong. It's My Adventures in Space and Time. It's their two-year anniversary of running their pod, David. Awesome. So they're going through the Hartnell years. Obviously, we've dipped our toe in. And somehow, for two years, they've managed to extrapolate some sort of joy from William Hartnell's turn as the Doctor. So I, I just wanted to say a massive shout-out to Shona and Caroline. Well done, guys, because yeah. in many ways, you're better than I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Certainly, anyone who... Y- you occasionally see on the internet, people were are like, oh, I really want to get into Doctor Who. Should I just start from the beginning in 1963? <laughs> to, to which they will usually get a chorus of fans saying, no. <laughs>
1: You shouldn't even end there. You shouldn't even have it in the middle. Entirely skippable.
0: But anyway, we're going to dig into the Daleks. All seven episodes of it uh, in due course.
1: Yeah, that was a nice Um, surprise. You told me it was six at first.
0: Yes, I did, didn't I? Yes, that was an error on my part. I'd I'd honestly totally forgotten that it ran for seven. (laughs) It really doesn't need to, does it?
1: It doesn't need to run for two.
0: Uh, anyway,
1: <laughs> anyway, let, let's keep our cards close <laughs> to our chest.
0: Yes, yes. indeed. Um, so then, Matt, uh, it's ages since we last spoke uh, because we've had to sort of... Normally we record on a Sunday. Uh, this week we're recording on a Thursday. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, have fun editing this one, Matt. Yeah. Um, Just yeah, 24 hours with... to get it out. That's fine. Yeah, it's um the sort of uh Easter holiday shenanigans have kind of uh yeah meant we are a little bit delayed recording. So um what have you been up to thus far Matt?
1: Uh well, after last recording where I was eating carrot cake, um I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. So I've made myself a lovely pudding. Um I've I've got some spotted dick and custard.
0: Oh you're partial to a spotted dick, are you, Matt? I
1: am. I bet our American listeners, with their heads, you know, well and truly in the toilet, uh, you know, <laughs> laughing there. But yeah, it's great, isn't it? What a pudding!
0: Yeah, yeah. Just, to, just to be clear, um, listeners, Matt is is, is uh, very much on record here as saying that he loves a bit of spotted dick in his mouth.
1: You're a silly. He loves boy. nothing more. You're a silly
0: than to gobble away. <laughs> On some spotted dick.
1: Mm. It's moist. <laughs>
0: uh, Is it? I'm pleased to hear that.
1: Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what mm. has happened to me in the last two weeks. Because
0: Yes, go I, ahead.
1: I'm living life, David, at a pace I never thought mm. possible. Because right. I have bought an air fryer.
0: Oh, crikey. How are you finding that?
1: David, it's insane how great air fryers mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Today, I put some chips in the air fryer. Yeah. Went for a bowel movement, and when I came back, the <laughs> chips were done. <laughs> like, I mean, what's that? A good, good 20 minutes? Um, yeah. That's a joke about how long it takes my bowel movements. Five minutes in and out, those chips were, and they were fantastic. Yeah, I'm. Uh, um, I made some hash browns yesterday. They were great. Mhm.
0: It it the thing the thing about air fryers the thing that's always put me off is um th- there's a lot of health claims made around oh it's so much healthier. I mean, yes, it, of course it's healthier than deep fat frying, mm. um, your foods, but also. Having an air fryer does, I think, encourage you to end up eating way more fried foods than you would anyway.
1: Ah, oh, I've eaten so much shit, David, but you better believe those <laughs> chips were crispy.
0: Yeah. So I've always been hesitant about getting one because I know myself. I'd be exactly like you, Matt. I'd just be frying everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I had hash browns for lunch. Then I had chicken mm-hmm. burger and chips for tea. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I just made a handful of chips as a snack this afternoon. Yeah.
0: You think the novelty will wear off in a few weeks?
1: Uh, well, it certainly has on my slow cooker. That's gone straight in the cupboard with the George Foreman grill and all my other <laughs> kitchen gadgets.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're having a nice time anyway, Matt.
1: Mm. And then I went to Whitby today.
0: Ooh, how's Whitby today?
1: Whitby is amazing, but the drive mm-hmm. to Whitby is a fucking nightmare.
0: Uh, you should have taken the steam train.
1: i I tell you what, I wish I did. Because to to get there, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to give away where we live. But you know how near where we live there's a famous road that is notoriously difficult to drive and people crash and die all the time on it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went the other way, thinking, oh, I'll cut that out. I don't fancy dying today. And what, what yeah. I didn't realise is once you're in the North Yorkshire Moors... All the roads are like that. <laughs> yeah! Like, literally every Absolutely. road. We, we were driving <laughs> along, and all of a sudden there's mm. blue bank. That was an absolute nightmare, because I was intrigued. I was like, oh, what's that mean, where it's got this, like, stopping road? And all it is is, if your brakes fail, you just pull on the side of the road. It's full of sand, and that's what stops your car. Your car just sinks. <laughs> Like, honestly, uh, so it it was my partner's birthday and I thought for a nice treat, I'd take her to Whitby for the day. And honestly, I I, I don't know whether she sensed how anxious I was driving there, but I was not having a great time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, No, honestly, next time, take the train. It's Hmm. really lovely.
1: I wish we did. I don't think it's running uh, yet. It runs over the summer.
0: Oh, uh, it might not. I'm 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 trying to remember what time of year my my partner and I did it uh, a few years ago. I f- I feel like it might have been a, r- maybe it was more in the sort of May June period, mm. so it might be a tad early because we are only just in April, aren't we? Um, but we
1: we went up to the Whitby, went up to the Whitby. Mm. Sorry, went up to the Abbey, went to go see yep. Dracula. Um,
0: Lovely. How's he um, doing? Um, I mean, he Is he in Fine Fettle? He wasn't in. Ah, oh, that's um, disappointing.
1: What else did we do? We had some fish and chips and we just had a wander mm-hmm. around on the beach in the pier. It was lovely.
0: Lovely. You didn't fancy going in the arcades?
1: Nah, like last year I went to Scarborough and Scarborough's mm-hmm. just like chav Whitby, isn't it? Yeah, um, I suppose I, so. I just didn't really feel it. I really enjoy the arcades.
0: I find them to be terribly oppressive places. Yeah. You know? Just uh, the, the, the assault on the senses from a, from a seaside arcade is not something I uh, relish.
1: No, but like, I, I don't think our overseas listeners will appreciate how great a shit seaside town is. Like, no, no. Like, they there's don't... nothing to do in Whitby. Like, mm. you can... we but even everybody
0: went to... flocks there, regardless.
1: Yeah, we went to the Jet Museum today, <laughs> and it turns out that's just an entryway to a restaurant. <laughs> like, we walked all the way through. It took us all of about five minutes. <clears> and then when we got yeah. to the other end, there was just a lady just going, oh, table for two. And I was like, what is going on here? Is this some sort of TV <laughs> prank? How am I in a restaurant? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had an okay time, Matt. Yeah.
1: What about you? How's your your two weeks been?
0: Oh, it's not been so bad. Um, last few days, uh, we've been up in the Scottish borders with my partner's folks, um, which is always pleasant. And we also, as an extra special treat, popped up to Edinburgh for the day. Mm-hmm. Popped to the National Museum of Scotland
1: mm-hmm.
0: and had a little nosy round an exhibition, which some of our listeners might be aware of, Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder.
1: And was it a world of wonder?
0: Mm. It was. It was about three rooms of assor- of assorted Doctor Who stuff.
1: Did it have a? Dime? It was
0: all right. They had. They had one complete. I want to say 60s Dalek, um, or possibly a replica. I think a lot of their stuff, to be honest, was uh, replica props and costumes from uh, an adventure in space and time. Mm -hmm. Certainly they had the William Hartnell uh, costume, but not the original one, but David Bradley's one. Okay. Um, And they had the replica console. Uh, But yeah, so they had. had,
1: No, you're not Just allowed to try it. become the first Doctor that. for a day.
0: Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be a nice treat? But sadly, no. Um, what we did... Uh, what they did have, in terms of Daleks, was they had the the one complete Dalek, and then they also had an RTD-era gold-style Dalek, but with the back removed, so you could get in and, and uh, waggle its arms about.
1: Uh, and how long did you do that for?
0: Oh, not as long as Little Zorbs. Oh, Really? Oh, he was having a great time waggling the Dalek's arms around. I
1: mean, he does famously love robots.
0: He does. He was thrilled by that and the Cybermen. Uh, they also had the robot from Robot. Okay. And also uh, the heads of uh, a few others, including um, the one of the robots from Robots of Death. They had um, Omega's they that- Costume.
1: From the Three Doctors? I was going to say, did they have that sexy silver robot from the Five Doctors?
0: Sadly, no. Because, I mean, that would have just been a deflated spandex suit, wouldn't it? Um. But, yeah, no, they had, um... They had a really good, um... A really good sort of spread in terms of eras represented. Um... And the att- they made an attempt to thread through it um, sort of ways in which science has been inspired by... Um, sorry, Doctor Who has been inspired by real-life science. But... Um, yeah, it w- um, to be honest... Anytime there was a screen with like an actual science trying to be like, yeah, and this this insect's a bit like one on Doctor Who, isn't it? Everyone was just walking straight past it. <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, I'm, I, I don't care, mate. I'm here to look at a Dalek.
1: <laughs> so the important question is, what did yeah. you get from the gift shop?
0: I'm skint at the moment. So I got nothing, but little money bag Zorbs got himself, um, uh, it, it was like a, you know, a, a mystery box figurine thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was Lego compatible. It was, a, and he, he lucked out cause he got a little Lego Cyberman. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I mean, we, my, my partner and I were looking at the back and they had like sort of the 11th doctor and Clara and all these like just boring humans that he's not going to recognize. And we basically concluded if if he doesn't get a Dalek or a Cyberman, he's going to be very disappointed. Um, so he definitely lucked out there. So, yeah, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's it's certainly not an exhibition on the scale of something like um, the long lamented Doctor Who experience in Cardiff, which sadly I never got to go to. Um But, you know, it's better than nothing. And there was a really healthy amount of people, you know, it was a steady flow of people uh, going into that exhibition. So, you know, it's a nice reminder that Doctor Who really is a cultural institution in this country. So it's not just for nerds like me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much longer it's on for. I don't think it's on for that much longer at this point. It's been running a goodly while well now.
1: No, I'm I'm certain mm. it, it ends soon, because uh, last week, here's some other news for you. I was I was speaking to Caroline from My Adventure yep. in Time and Space. Hi, folks. Future Matt here. Just to confirm again, that podcast is my adventure. In space and time. Because us guys and Who Can Convince You and the Cloister Bell and Mark from all of Time and Space, we've kind of rebranded our After Show. Yeah. um, So we've collectively come together. It's now called After Who. And we have a common YouTube channel now Mm -hmm. across all the different pods. So there's going to be uploads and all sorts going on there. Excellent. So, for example, we did our. We finally got round to doing our Christmas Secret Santa. And I don't know what, what you mean about out... finally.
0: Seems very tirely. It is the season still.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, four four months late. <laughs> um, so, for example, it turned out it was Rob that bought me the Blu-ray of Doctor Who. Am I? Mm-hmm. Um. So we've agreed we're going to set a date. We're both going to watch that and discuss it
0: on there. Oh, awesome. Looking forward to
1: that. So there's going to be little treats and little bits and bobs up on there. And obviously when Doctor Who comes back, that's where we're going to be recording our reaction discussions. Mm -hmm. And all the old reaction discussions are up there too. Excellent. I think more than anything, I think Rob wanted to tidy up the Cloister Bell YouTube and it just had silly videos of me on it. So.
0: <laughs> uh, you can't blame him. <coughs> um, fantastic. Um, but, uh, yeah, what was I... Hmm. What, how does this podcast normally work, man? It's been that long since we last recorded.
1: <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Food or music?
0: Hmm. Let's start with music. Because I've got a bit of a heartfelt okay. one this week. Okay. Um, so a few days ago uh so uh, just to introduce this is this is besides the point this segment we should yeah. give it give it its proper title
1: um a f- yeah I might I might give it like a little jingle hmm. I'll work on it
0: but anyway a, a, a few days ago um the world sadly lost uh Ray Shulman, who is not a household name by any stretch um but he was the bass player and one of the main Uh, composers for um, my favourite progressive rock band of the 1970s. Um, And it's not even a close contest. A band called Gentle Giant. I talked about them when we did our our Desert Island Discs back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he was... First and foremost, a phenomenal bass player. He was also a fantastic violinist, um, and as with um, all of the members of Gentle Giant, was would also often be seen, you know, um, picking up a recorder or, uh, you know, all kinds of odds and ends, acoustic guitar. Incredible multi instrumentalist, basically, um, and in, and a unique songwriter. Um, So I wanted to pick a song by him. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been revisiting a lot of Gentle Giant's catalogue recently. And, you know, even the albums that are are less well loved, I still find things to enjoy on. Um, But I think I'm going to say if anyone is remotely curious about Gentle Giant and what they do, um, maybe hop on YouTube and watch um, the live performance of a song called "Free Hand," which they recorded for a for a BBC um, filmed concert in 1978. Um, and you will see five men on stage having the absolute time of their lives and not giving a damn if anyone in the audience gets what they're actually trying to do. <laughs> um, and uh, it also. Um, shows off Ray Shulman's just incredible bass playing skills to great effect, I think, on that song. So, um, yeah, that's my pick. Um, genuinely very sad about it, because Gentle Giant are a band that have been with me... You know, I discovered them when I would have been, what, I don't know, 16 years old? So, so yeah, you know, 20 years at this point, and counting. Mm-hmm. And they remain... Second only to Cardiacs in my book in in terms of most exciting, rewarding and uh, constantly fascinating bands. So there you go. I mean, it's going to
1: make my pick look rubbish by comparison. I'm sorry, Matt. (laughs) You've done me again every week. Last week, it was your own language they were singing in. Uh, now you're pulling on the heartstrings. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, Matt. Uh,
1: my pick this week. I I watched a film that I absolutely loved when it came out, and I watched it again this week for like the first time in forever. Mm-hmm. And I got something totally different out of the film. It it was totally turned on its head from when right. I was a young man. That's interesting. So, so I watched 500 Days of Summer. I don't know if right. you've seen it, David.
0: No, I've heard of it. I don't really know a lot about it, though. Uh,
1: it's, it's one of... I would put it... It's definitely one of my favourite films. So
0: It's it, one of those it, ones that you see in charity shops a lot, isn't it? Like It seems like a lot of people had that film on DVD.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's basically about... It, it sets itself up as a bit of a rom-com. But it's kind of about the young man's misinterpretations of a relationship that he thinks going brilliantly when it quite clearly isn't. Yeah. You know, it it, it is home, let's be honest. <laughs> After the divorce. Kind yeah, of, I, I can see.
0: I, I can see I, why it I, might have... I,
1: I drew different bits out of the film watching it recently. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, and the soundtrack's an absolute banger. I yeah. think it's got one of the best soundtracks to... Any film.
0: And yeah. are we talking sort of um, just like song selections that have been made, like pre-existing yeah, songs? Yeah, yeah.
1: so it, it's set to music. Yeah. You know, it's not a musical, but m- the music's very, very important mm. through the film. Um, and, you know, it's got everything from Holland & to Carla Sarkozy. Right. It. So, it, it's got everything. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if I would pick one song. I oh, no, It's got a lot of Regina Spector on it. She's pretty good.
0: She's fantastic. One of, yeah. my, my partner's favourite artist.
1: Right, well, on that yeah. note, I'll say the song Us by Regina Spector. That's like the opening song. Mm. It's, it's
0: just great. Excellent. Well, there we go. Two strong picks there, listeners, for, for, to, to go and investigate. Mine's the best, though. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. You know, after, after last week, now you're just outright saying it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, talk to me about food, Matt. What have you been eating?
1: Um, just stuff that's generally better than your food, I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, b- most likely.
1: Um. I don't know what my meal of the fortnight might be. Let let me think. I I did have some banging fish and chips in Whitby today. Mm. It could be that. Um, what have I eaten that's been? I'm good trying
0: way? to think. Wh- um, where? Wh- I'm trying to think if there's a way I could nail down whether you ended up having fish and chips at the same fish and chip place we went to when we were was last it, in was Whitby. Was it down
1: a little street or was it on the front?
0: It was close to the front.
1: See, ours was down a little street, yet
0: mm, probably close different to the one, front.
1: Then. It was up near where the Captain Cook pirate ship boat thing is.
0: Right. Yeah. Did have it have an upstairs?
1: One. No, I don't think so.
0: No, okay, it will be a different one then. I mean, to be fair, there's probably like 50 fish and chips places uh, in Whitley. you couldn't
1: move for it. And every single one's one fish and chip shop of the year, apparently. <laughs> oh we all laugh like the only one I knew was the magpie, that's like the famous one isn't it I think yeah. but it, it is extortionate it was it was £16 for just fish and chips, no sauce, no bread no pot of tea Cripes. Um, so today I, we went to one and I got the it was some special where mm-hmm. it was fish, chips, mushy peas couple of slices of bread pot of tea, £14 all in
0: They're not too bad. Can't argue with that.
1: Um, What have I eaten recently that's been good? The thing is, last weekend, I had Mm -hmm. a couple of friends stay Saturday through till Monday, so my diet was just absolute trash. Yeah. Um, Oh, I did go to the butchers in town and buy one of every pork pie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't label them, so it was mystery pork pie. Some were pork and chili. One might be pork and stilton, pork and egg, pork and black pudding, pork and apple, pork and stuffing. Just all the pies, but it was a mystery until mm-hmm. you bit into them.
0: Any particular highlights from that selection?
1: Pork and stilton. Yeah? I didn't think it would go together. I do like a nice, like, steak and stilton. But pork pie and Stilton was lovely.
0: Mm.
1: And they do oh, a go. pork pie, bean and cheese one. That was that. Oh, I totally forgot to say, guess where I went on the way to Whitby?
0: Where do you go on the way to Whitby, Matt?
1: Right, I'm going to tell you where I went and you've got to tell me exactly what I did. Okay. If I told you, I went to Helmsley.
0: Oh, I know exactly where you went. Thomas's HQ...
1: I went to Thomas the Baker's HQ this morning. Excellent. It it was queued out the door, mainly because nothing else was open. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was five to nine. Most of the shops opened at nine. Um, And I got myself a white coffee, and this is going to be my meal of the fortnight, a Cumberland wrap.
0: Now, tell me, Matt, what is entailed in a Cumberland wrap?
1: Right. Imagine... A croissant.
0: I'm imagining a croissant.
1: And it's got like some lovely onion marmalade in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now stuffed through the middle is just a massive fucking sausage. (laughs) Like foot-long cumberland... It was like... I reached a point where I stopped apologising to my girlfriend for getting pastry everywhere. Because I was just like, this is so good, I've just got to... You, you just got, got to a focus. Mode on, it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Thomas the Baker's HQ, it, and it's got so much more than your average Thomas.
0: Oh, it really does. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I don't want know to whether go it's just an onion sandwich. It was too early for that. Mm. But it, it, it's got like a full cheese counter. It's got like a butcher's counter. You know, mm. it's got charcuterie meats. It's got everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 an impressive uh, establishment for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I was on a bit of a one track when we got yeah. to Helmsley because she was like, "Oh, I wonder where we could get a bacon sandwich and coffee." I was like, "Oh, I know somewhere." <laughs> so yeah, Tosses yeah. HQ.
0: Yeah, got it. What about you?
1: What have you been eating? <laughs> our, so, our features are absolute garbage, aren't they? <laughs> like we're out of practice we didn't even name them we're just like what music you've been listening to what you been eating
0: They you still be like yeah i've seen any good walls recently
1: <laughs> yeah i can't wait for next year when we can these and it's like oh no you seen a bird today any good birds
0: <laughs> you know what i saw i saw a lovely robin in the garden yesterday really uh
1: all I've seen today is evil bastard seagulls. Proper seaside nasty bastards. <laughs>
0: yeah, just massive brutes.
1: Yeah.
0: Right, okay, I'm going to quickly head upstairs and then I'll tell you what um, what I've been eating. A cookie
1: with
0: you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the pod, so um, apologies listeners if Matt keeps this in, but obviously I ain't going to demolish this cookie now. I'm not sure you've got a cookie. Who knows? Might be a last-minute entrance in uh, meal of the week. Sorry, meal of the fortnight.
1: We're still doing that, aren't we? Eh, yeah, probably. It's always a treat for me, cos I can't always hear what's been said in your household. Did you not hear my partner offering me a cookie there, then? Uh, I heard you take the cookie and devour the cookie. <laughs> oh,
0: I, it's I'm still gonna in I'm going to put progress. together
1: a, a Christmas supercut of all the conversations when you go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my.
0: So, yeah, I, I, if Matt keeps this in, I do apologise, This is because it's... I know a lot of people are not fans of hearing other people eat. I mean, it won't be your first time on the pod, will it?
1: No. Uh, by the way, I, I have consumed Spotted Dick. Fair enough. What hmm. cookie you got?
0: Looks like a triple chocolate. Which, you know, when it comes to supermarket cookies,
1: it's got to be the king, right? Yeah, you don't want to be one of those double chocolate shit munchers. (laughs) Heaven forbid single chocolate.
0: (laughs) Though, I'm showing my age here, Matt. I've got to admit, sometimes, when I'm in the mood, I'm quite partial to an oat and raisin. Yeah,
1: they're fine, they're fine. If you're going chocolate, go all in. Don't be a coward.
0: mm hmm You know what? This cookie right now genuinely is a strong contender. Oh.
1: <laughs> what, what What? else is up against it?
0: Um, probably the uh, seafood chowder that my partner's dad made the other day. Ooh, very nice. It was very nice, homemade sourdough. You know, it was a proper, you know, uh, guardian colour supplement supplement type meal.
1: Yeah,
0: sounds good. Which, yeah, yeah, not to be sniffed at. All right, last boughful. Hmm. You know it's what, fine. Mate, no, like,
1: like I was saying, our our, our pods a high quality affair, isn't
0: it? <laughs> it surely is. Right, I finished it. I've considered it. My meal of the fortnight is that a cookie.
1: <laughs> oh wow!
0: It was really good. I got. I wish I could tell you which uh, which supermarket it was from. Probably Lidl.
1: Okay.
0: I don't know. I'll, I'll have to ask, uh, I'll ask my partner and I'll let you know in a fortnight's time, listeners.
1: Yeah. <coughs> well, there you go. Right, would you proper like drama. some listeners' tweets? Yeah, all right, Let's then. Let's move on to a proper segment. Okay. Listeners' tweets that have no longer got anything to do with Doctor Who. I'm ready. Right. First tweet, David, comes from... James Courtney. Do you want to say hello? Hi, James. Who says, you've had Nopper's Nuts bars before, but have you ever tried? And it's a Lion Bar, brownie style. He's copied a picture, David. It looks like an open sewer. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to say no.
0: So this is a new Lion Bar variant, is it?
1: Yeah, it it honestly mm. looks like it's got doner kebab meat in it. <laughs>
0: I'll be honest, I I never gravitate towards lion bars at the best of times.
1: I used to like their fruit and biscuit one. But right. No, no, that's a Yorkie.
0: That yeah, um, that was gonna say yeah yeah. I like I um. I've uh, I've definitely had fruit and biscuit in in Yorkie context. I've never heard of I've never heard of any sort of I, alternate lion bars before.
1: I think the subtext of James's question is David, you've gone to Tesco, you've got a quid in your pocket, you stood at the chocolate selection. What are you getting?
0: Whisper gold.
1: Whisper gold, he says. Wow. I, I like a
0: boost. Or but if the, I, if there's... I'm feeling decadent, might do a double decker.
1: See, I like a boost, and I like a double-decker, but they're dense, aren't they? They're big. They
0: are. They're like a
1: meal replacement
0: supplement. (laughs) You've got to to have capacity.
1: I I really like a Reese's, I think it's called Nutrageous. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah, those are good.
1: And if if I'm just looking for a light treat to go with a coffee, maybe a Kinder Bueno. Oh.
0: Nah, I don't don't mind a kinder bueno, but it doesn't... A kinder bueno, to me, I don't feel like I've eaten a chocolate bar afterwards. Do you know what I mean? Sorry,
1: I've missed a bit on James Courtney's tweet. It says, this question is specifically for Matt. David, keep your opinions to yourself. In fact, shove them up your arse. So (laughs) so that's fine. We'll go with kinder bueno this week. Thanks, James. Thanks for thanks for your ongoing support and care
0: (laughs) who's next Uh,
1: the next one is Frank who says what is your favourite song where the cover is better than the original
0: oh that's put me on the spot
1: I'm going to say Thin Lizzy Rosalie which is originally by Bob Seger. That's a great song. Yeah, it's on their live album.
0: Um, oh God! Can I can I come back to you on that one? Because I'm I'm. You know when when your your mind just goes blank and you know that there's like there's so many different possible yeah. Let, let's things see if I can could find, say.
1: Find one that'll really offend people, like Jedward. Didn't they do loads of covers? Let's go for Jedward. <coughs> yep,
0: yeah, sure.
1: I tell you what, when I was in Whitby as well, not not that many goths today.
0: Oh, that's disappointing.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it know, I know I mean, depends. Were, were, you,
0: were you relieved? Or well, did you, did you want to actively antagonise them?
1: Well, everyone's, like, you know, plant flowers save the bees... What what about the goths? Where are they at the minute?
0: Uh, I, it would be a, a great shame if it turns out they're
1: endangered now. Well, wh- when was the last time Marilyn Manson released an album? What, what are mm-hmm. the boys from Slipknot doing at the minute? Because goths are dying out, and I'm worried.
0: It seems that way. Yeah. Uh,
1: hold on. Give me two seconds. Let's just Google 10 best cover songs. Let's see if we can... Look at which ones are great. Uh, "Hallelujah" by Jeff Buckley. I Leonard hate that Cohen, song, wasn't it? Yeah. I
0: hate both the original and the cover. Uh,
1: Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares to you, but that was by Prince, wasn't it? And mm. the original's better. "Soft Cell Tainted Love." Uh, don't know who sung the original. Can't be bothered to click the link. Uh, Johnny Cash hurt. That was nine inch nails. That one's pretty good, but everyone will say that.
0: Ah, uh, you know what? I I know what my answer is. I know what my answer is. Go on. Um, it is "Blinded by the Light" by Manfred Mann's Earth Band.
1: Ah, yeah, cover of Bruce Springsteen.
0: Yeah, have you heard the Bruce Springsteen original?
1: Yeah, both both versions are great. But yeah, mm. I'm with you, Manfred Mann. Like, no, for me, it's all
0: about it. the cover. Yeah. I, I, you know, I can see the bare bones of a good song in the Br- Bri Spring Green* one, but Manfred Mann adds so much sort of wit and sparkle and playfulness to it.
1: Mm. So yeah. In, f- in fact, mine is maybe. So, th- there's an album called *The Green Album*. Okay. What by is... Steve Hillage? No, 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 this one's a good one. You're thinking... Oh, <laughs> the. It's weird that your mind goes straight there, because I'm talking about the good Green Album, right? which is where modern artists cover songs by the Muppets. So it's right. called the Green Album because it's got Kermit on the front. I see. And there's the song Moving Right Along from the Muppet movie, covered by one of my favourite bands, Alkaline Trio, Uh, But I might go Rainbow Connection, the Kermit the Frog song, covered Mm -hmm. by Weezer and that girl from Paramore, that little goth girl, whatever she's called. Um, Yeah, I'm going to go for that, Rainbow Connection. Willie Nelson does a good version of Rainbow Connection as well. There you go. Right. Uh... Next question comes from Ariel. What is your opinion of the film Back to the Future, and/or the stage musical adaptation? Didn't even know there was a stage adaptation, so yeah, guessing guessing it's okay.
0: Probably fine.
1: Um, better or worse than Shrek the musical? I mean,
0: again, not I've not I've not witnessed the musical, so hard to say. I mean, I would say Back to the Future is a better film than Shrek. Um, yeah. Both. Both, I would say, are overrated. Though I don't think Back to the Future is as good as everybody says that it is. It's it's in the same league as something like, say, Ghostbusters, or what is it about like those '80s films, those like cult '80s films that everyone's supposed to adore.
1: It's just nostalgia, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but it's 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 a particular generation's nostalgia that's been foisted upon our generation and subsequent ones. But, to the point weirdly, that, like, nope, they're still nope. churning out Ghostbuster sequels. And it's like, who are these actually for? Because they're, they're certainly not for, you know, 20-somethings now.
1: I mean, <coughs> what, where, where's my Gremlins 3? That's what I want to know. If we're remaking all these 80s films... I want Gremlins 3 and I want Short Circuit 3.
0: Yeah. I mean that's the thing they all just like they all have this similar vibe. They're all kind of fine but not as funny as you made to think they're going to be yeah, not but as the clever kids as in Stranger, as you think Stranger Things be.
1: like it David. Oh, Look, the God. kids in Stranger Things like it so we like yeah. it. Because apparently that's the zeitgeist. Let's mm. move on before we get angry. Yeah. Right. Uh next up, James Swift. What podcast suggestions do you have? I think oh. the biggest suggestion I've got about podcasts is don't start one, it's a real time sink.
0: <laughs> More than you might anticipate. Um Yeah, what have I what have I got on my podcast feed? I've got my podcast feed's pretty sort of dry at the moment. Um, because I don't have a lot of, I find myself with less time for podcasts than I used to. Um, and therefore I find myself not getting through them at the rate I used to. Um, I'll tell you what, if you want something, you know, as Doctor Who fans, I think a lot of people listening to this might appreciate it. If you've never heard Mission to Zix, that is a very, very strong recommendation for me. It is basically like um, improvised Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so they they do they, the the actors do their initial improv session. They've got sometimes got a very loose idea for what the story is going to be, but all the dialogue is one hundred percent improvised. And then they the editing and sound design work that goes into that podcast is incredible. The post productions. Values are through the roof. Um, so it, it it transforms this very loose, silly improv comedy into a fully immersive science fiction adventure. <laughs> um, it's brilliant. I, I love Mission to Zix. And it's one that I am deliberately parceling out quite slowly. I'm only on season three of it. Because I, if I'm going to listen to an episode, I want to make sure I've got the time to really give it my full attention because you know this there are so many little details in there it, it it's great what about you matt
1: um i won't go through my full feed but if you like movies the weekly planet that yeah that that was the pod that led us to podding i remember yeah it was it in my car
0: yeah it was it was the uh i, I think you asked me out of the blue whether I ever listened to podcasts one time and said, yeah, I listened to a few. One of the ones I mentioned was The Weekly Planet. And, oh, your, your eyes lit up, Matt. Yeah. They that sparkled pro- with joy.
1: That is probably my favourite. That's the one I make oh. time to listen to each week. Yeah. Um, if you like football, Football Ramble is my preferred one. If you like computer games, Filthy Casuals is my mm-hmm. favourite. Uh, just sort of general chit chat comedy ones I like The Luke and Pete Show uh, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Feet Podcast uh, Athletico Mints with Bob Mortimer Off Menu uh, what else have I got and another football one Quickly Kevin, Will He Score
0: uh, oh I've got a recommendation for you Matt, I don't know if you're aware of it, have you ever heard of Three Bean Salad no it is Can a cookie in
1: an air fryer.
0: Ha ha ha! It is a podcast um, hosted by Mike Wozniak and a couple of his comedy mates, oh, whose yeah. names escape me. Um, and it's it's pure concentrated whimsy. It's just a ridiculous uh, ramble every week, and uh, that's good fun. If you, if if anyone uh, is listening, if you watch Taskmaster and you enjoyed Mike Wozniak on Taskmaster, you'll definitely get a kick out of that podcast.
1: Cool. I might give that a go. Uh, we've got a couple of questions still to go. Question from Sonia. What's the best kind of bread?
0: Oh. I think that's an unanswerable question.
1: Uh, I really like cornbread.
0: Mm-hmm. I just like all bread. Um, and, you know, depending on context. Okay, right. Okay, I'm going to really try and commit to something here baguette.
1: Cool.
0: I love a fresh baguette.
1: Le Pan Francais.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Wow. I wouldn't have had you down as a baguette kind of guy. What about a follow-up question from Sonia? What's the best type of birthday cake?
0: Um, I like a traditional vanilla sponge with a jam and cream layer and icing on top.
1: See, every year for my birthday, as a bit of a tradition, my mum makes me a corned beef and potato pie... So I'm going to say that's the best birthday cake.
0: There we go. Lot of cake. <laughs> okay, moving
1: on. Uh, and final question, David, comes from me. Um, we talked about this last week. I think it's time we do a bit of a deep dive. Who okay. is Bernice Summerfield? Um.
0: Uh... Oh, we really got—we've t- got seven episodes of the Daleks to get through. Matt, are you sure we've got time for this? Because I can—I'm I'm more than happy to elaborate.
1: I really think we need to. Cause okay,
0: it's—it's it, it's bothering me. It loose you.
1: thread from last okay.
0: time, was Okay, so Bernie Summerfield uh, was a character oh, created. Hang on, my-
1: hang on. I don't know what's going on. I think the fire alarm in my building's going off.
0: Oh my God. It- are going to be all right? Hey, do, you, do you need to... We can pause the recording.
1: False alarm. I think we're okay. I think we're okay.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Right, so, the Daleks, David. <laughs> so, yeah. I really think that joke's got legs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll see.
1: Every week you can look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll do it at Christmas. We'll do Benice Summerfield at Christmas.
0: We definitely will. We definitely will.
1: No, we're doing it next week. We did it. Stop ruining the joke. <laughs> edit that. Matt, if you're listening in the future, edit this bit out, please. Right. So, David, this is The Daleks. It is the second story from season one. Yes. All the way back, the 21st of December, 1963, to the 1st of February, 1964.
0: Mm. The story that saved Doctor Who. Uh,
1: okay. Uh, written by Terry Nation, directed yep. by Christopher Barry and Richard Martin.
0: Okay. There we go. Okay. First question for you, Matt.
1: hmm
0: Is... Terry Nation, a good writer. Uh,
1: based on this, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Maybe he just seems to have absolutely no concept of A, what constitutes <laughs> entertainment, and B, how people interact in the real world.
0: Mm. You see, this is a question that I have grappled with myself for many years. I have watched a lot of Terry Nation stories. I have enjoyed some of those Terry Nation stories. He created one of the most iconic and enduring villains in the history of science fiction. And yet I cannot feel like I can I can hand on heart definitively say that Terry Nation is a good writer. More like Terry Bull, never
1: mind Terry Nation
0: yeah i don't know because it's not the thing is the thing is with this story right it's not dreadful it's it is not dreadful so boring that's the trouble it's it's if you cuz uh, it's worth noting here right my my first introduction to this particular storyline was the condensed reinterpreted version that was used for the first Peter Cushing Doctor Who film. So I was already familiar with the story beats for this story before um, going into it for the first time as a proper card-carrying Doctor Who fan. And I found it agonising because the film is so much pacier. It's, you know, it's 90 minutes, whereas this is strung out for, let's think now, probably getting on for three hours
1: and having watched the whole thing, David, I finished watching it yesterday. Yeah, I I'm still not certain. I know what the story is.
0: Yeah, it's uh, this is the thing. I, I I would say a lot of a lot of Terry Nation's writing, in particular, falls into this category of just stuff happens. So it's like. Here's the situation that Tonations Nations usually has very good first episodes, and I think this is no exception. I think there's a the, the start of this story is really strong, but then it becomes this sequence of just and then and then and then and then, and it doesn't it doesn't build towards a climax or sustain no, attention.
1: Uh, if if you think right, Tardis breaks. We need something to fix it. Where we're going to get that thing, there is, you know, some sort of evil entity. Mm. We overcome that. We get the stuff, right? That, that is like a pretty basic Doctor Who episode formula. Yeah? yeah. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, right, TARDIS is broken. We need to go get this stuff. We get out the TARDIS, and all of a sudden, there's a jungle made of stone. And we talk about this metal lizard for far too long, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But once we leave the jungle, there's a city. When we get in the city, we're introduced to the Daleks, who are clearly the bad guys. Mm. But then there's this weird (coughs) subplot about medicine. Yeah, and radiation. The Daleks and the Thals at war with each other. Then we
0: Uh, get... uh, Yeah, go on.
1: Then we get a weird bit about Thal Society, because they're just weird. <laughs> they are.
0: They are weird. I, I, w-
1: I would let the Daleks kill them. It's f- yeah
0: it's f- um, And you're forgetting, of course, the, the, the section where the, the Daleks decide they're going to set off a neutron bomb and then decide they're not going to bother in the space of the same episode.
1: Yeah. Then we get the bit where, yes, we're going to press the button to set this bomb off, If you were going to set a bomb off, what number is sensible to count down from? (laughs) I'm sure 52 is appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Then, yeah, they decide they're not going to do the bomb. Yeah. Then everyone gets stuck under a door for a bit. (laughs) Then, like... They work out, they can just push the Daleks around and they're not actually that scary.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Then we jump over a hole for 25 minutes. <laughs> and, some of us, and some of us don't make it. <laughs> then, because that person died, we had to think of our entire political <coughs> structure of the <coughs> Oh,
0: God. And
1: I don't, like... You know, when we watched that... What's it called? Adventure in Space and Time. Yeah. And there's that scene where she's on the bus and the kids are playing as Daleks, like going exterminate, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I I can't imagine that ever happening. Yeah. Based on this. Because, uh, like, what the Daleks are now and what they are here are chalk and cheese and they're, they're massively improved.
0: This is kinda of why I wanted you to watch this one though, so you got a real sense for the humble origins. Um You know, it's it's one of those things I think you have to do. Like uh this is my other question for you, Matt. I wonder what percentage of people actually watch this story for the first time without already having prior knowledge of the Daleks and having already seen them in subsequent stories. Because I think it's 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 a really unusual situation where like I could imagine today, for example, there are still a lot of kids who maybe, if they've got parents who are very passionate about it, their first experience proper of Star Wars is still um, the original uh, 1977 Star Wars, right? But I don't think there are going to be many people, except for those that actually watched it on original broadcast, for whom their first experience of the Daleks is this story.
1: No, but imagine if you were watching this week to week. I wouldn't remember what was going on. I I watched it in two sittings, four episodes and three episodes. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't work. By episode five, I'd tapped out.
0: I was done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but kids, the, the thing is, we know kids were hooked. This, it genuinely was a bit of an overnight sensation. Dalek mania was a real thing. Those, the Cushing films would not have happened were it not for the popularity of these stories. Doctor Who got a ratings boost, a massive ratings boost, anytime they did a new Dalek story. People were mad for these things. I and I and I think
1: they they're not the weak point in this story.
0: No, no, they're not. And and, and I think as well, um, as much of the credit is probably has got, got to go to Raymond Cusick who designed the Daleks as mm-hmm. goes to Terry Nation's writing. You know, I think if you couldn't if put yourself in the mind of being like a, a seven-year-old kid in 1963, witnessing that for the first time, like,
1: you you may not
0: have seen anything like it on your TV before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think we've got, to, we've got to, you know, give it that context. But yeah, I, you know, in, in the cold light of day of the 21st century, as an example of... Good storytelling in Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm not sure this one holds up.
1: Any any time there's a decision to be made, you better believe there's going to be a 10-minute discussion about it.
0: Oh, goodness me. And then
1: we're going to watch the whole thing play out. Mm -hmm. If it takes us 20 minutes to walk through that cave, we're going to see all 20 minutes.
0: And sometimes they're just
1: walking in silence. (laughs) Not talking. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, and no, uh, no background music as well. Very little in the way of score in this, <laughs> across yeah. all seven episodes here. Uh, there's a lot of shuffling about. Yeah, um, but yeah, but, um, okay. I think we just need to need to get stuck into this. I'm hoping your your notes are comparatively brief because yeah, uh, so I don't want to be here to all night.
1: And normally, for like. A full episode of Doctor Who. i normally yeah. right about a page and a half. I've got slightly more. I'm close to two full pages. It shouldn't take us much long. Much longer. Righty.
0: Righty-ho, then. Let's right. get stuck in.
1: Okay. And I'll try and cut out all the nonsense. So, part one, the dead planet. The TARDIS lands. There's dangerous radiation levels. Now, I understand that's how the previous episode ended. Yeah. Okay. Uh, considering how long she looks at the dial, Susan manages to miss this. The second she walks away, <laughs> that dial creeps up. Yeah. Um, they think there's been a forest fire, um, but there is swift breeze, none of the trees move, so they want to find out what's going on, except Ian and Barbara, who are already sick of the Doctor and just want to go home.
0: Yeah. I will say, right from the off, one of the saving graces of this story, and let's be honest the entire first couple of seasons of Doctor Who is Ian and Barbara. I mean, Barbara's hair, yeah, does a lot of the heavy lifting. But just Ian and Barbara as a duo are just great, aren't they? Mm.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: you can tell from, from, from the start they are the most confident actors out of the like uh, 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 this is not me trying to do down William Hartnell, but I think at this stage in particular you can tell that he is still finding his feet and he's not yet he's not yet found his groove with this character, whereas um whereas oh God, I'm blanking on his name William. What's, what's the name of the guy who plays Ian? William... William... Oh, God. I feel awful about this. Uh... Oh, no,
1: because I searched that and it came up with... Oh, it's William Russell.
0: William Russell, of course it is. Um...
1: Uh, if you're looking at the film, it's Roy Castle.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. A...
1: Is he playing the
0: trumpet? We, you know what? It's so long since I've seen it. He might. He might, actually. Um, you know, we, we, we are definitely doing uh, that film at some point. Fret not. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so Ian and Barbara, I think they just... They carry this story to a large extent. And it's their story you're invested in. You know, these poor teachers who just want to get home. <laughs> Who've yeah. been kidnapped by this <laughs> crotchety madman well, that's it. When, from when space. When they leave
1: the jungle, they only go because the doctor goes and he's the only one that can take them home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, so Susan freaks out. They go back to the TARDIS because somebody touched Susan. Yeah. Uh, the TARDIS cooks a Mars bar made of bacon and eggs.
0: Yeah, I—that's I, the other thing. I love this is something I love about season one Doctor Who, is where they're like, mm, "We're going to have to address all of these questions the viewers might have, like where do they get their food? Ah, from a special machine, of course." It's just like you would not do that today. Yeah. Uh,
1: <coughs> so, something knocks on the outside of the TARDIS, uh-huh. uh, which can't fly away. They need to go to the city to get some mercury. And this was my favourite bit of episode one. When they leave the TARDIS, Ian pokes a brick with a stick. Mm. For now, about five minutes.
0: Did you, did you pick up on the key thing of this episode? Which is that the Doctor intentionally sabotages the TARDIS so that he can go and have a poke around in the city.
1: Let's see, I believed it. I know he went under the console and
0: like. Yeah, no, he uh, he 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 he, de- he deliberately tampers with the fluid link because um, nobody else wants to go and poke around the city, and so he's like, "All right, I'll just um, manufacture a fault in the TARDIS, so we all have no choice but to do what I say."
1: See, but if if they did that,
0: what a what a, a rascal a. Eh?
1: That, that's the sort of thing that, like, in the tenon or Capaldi era, like, the Companions would be going mad and, like, you know, it'd be a real mm-hmm. drama point. But in here, yeah. he's just a bit of a knob, isn't he? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: You know, like, this whole series <clears throat> wrapped around this idea that the Doctor doesn't care and he just does what he wants. and Yeah, what a dick. Right. Um... So, they find a box of glass vials. They go to the city to investigate. Barbara has an absolute mare and a Dalek approaches. That's episode one.
0: Yeah. Now, the the ending shot, that POV shot of the Dalek approaching Barbara, Um, it, I feel it's worth mentioning here. That is probably one of the most iconic shots in the history of 20th century science fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is up there. And, um... Oh, my God. I'm now blanking on the actress who plays It's not my day. My brain is not plugged in. I'll go. Oh, God. I feel awful.
1: Uh, She was played by... Let's have a look. Let's go on her TARDIS here uh, Played by... Christ, it's got everything. First appearance, Jacqueline Hill. Jacqueline Hill,
0: yes. Yeah. Uh, credit to Jacqueline Hill in that shot. Um, I think she does such a good job of conveying that, that sense of terror. Like... This, this serial does not have strong cliffhangers throughout, but that first cliffhanger is
1: beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. At, at this point, I was like, okay, quite intriguing. This could be good. Yeah. And it just doesn't meet that potential. Right. It doesn't Part quite know. The survivors. So they find a lab, hopefully, some mercury. They deduce that intelligent people once lived here. And the Geiger counter is at dangerous levels. Mm-hmm. The Doctor wants to go back to the TARDIS without Barbara, which causes Ian to absolutely go mad. Yeah. Uh, they see a Dalek and become captured. Ian runs for it and gets shot in the leg, paralysing him.
0: Yeah, so that's really interesting. The first time we ever see a Dalek shoot uh, another person, and they just they paralyse him rather than kill him. That never happened now, would it? No. Like, when have you ever seen a Dalek not shoot to kill in New Who?
1: Yeah, but weirdly, I I think there seems to be more death in this than you would see in New Who. People just die off oh, right and centre. Yeah. Right. Uh, they get taken to Barbara. They suspect somebody's inside the Dalek. The Doctor has bad radiation sickness, so we get a classic Hartnell lies down for an episode moment. Yep. Uh, And the Dalek keeps calling him a Thal and thinks he's searching for drugs and that's what the vials outside the TARDIS were. The Doctor offers to go get them and it turns out that they can't survive outside the safety of the city without the drug. Yeah. Uh, this is because 500 years ago, two races, the Daleks and the Thals, went to war. The Daleks hid in the city whilst the Thals mutated outside of the city. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor relays this to everyone, so we get the explanation to the Doctor, and then the Doctor just relays it to everyone else, so you get to hear it twice in the space of about five minutes.
0: Uh, Great writing.
1: Yeah, well, just as a palate cleanser to get that... You know, out your head. They talk about locks for far too long. Yeah. Just, just locks. Yeah. Uh, th- they want to send Ian back to the TARDIS, even though he can't walk. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's awful. Yeah. So Susan, yeah. Susan goes instead. The Doctor's unconscious. Susan reaches the TARDIS. End of part two.
0: Yeah. Already, the, the, the wind's coming out of the sails, isn't it? Yeah, the
1: cracks we're in the really, show.
0: We had a really strong start, and now we've got, like, just all four of them in a cell, just sort of... just blabbering at each other. Yeah, like, and, and the only think- outcome of, 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 of like, uh, ten minutes' worth of dialogue is, our oh, Susan's going to go and get those... Uh, those files.
1: Like, why was it ever a good idea to suggest Ian goes whilst he's laid on the floor, having been <laughs> shot?
0: No, but they still need to, to weigh up the pros and cons for a couple of minutes.
1: Like, I get it. He's big man on campus, goes around punching everyone. He's literally <laughs> yeah. paralysed.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Right, part three, the escape. Susan tries to return, but a foul man appears. It turns out he left the drugs for them. And he suspects the Daleks <coughs> want the drugs for themselves. So that was really yep. responsible of him just to lie them on the floor and walk off. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what this character's called. I think it's Aladdin or Aladdin oh. or Aragorn. I get,
0: I get all of the fouls mixed up. Yeah, With the possible right. exception of the one lady one that's allowed to talk.
1: At the risk of sounding really racist against the Thals,
0: they all look the same, don't they? They do. You see, well, this is like this is a, a thing that Classic Who does a lot. Uh, Terry Nation stories are particularly guilty of this, where they'll invent a tribe of people and the costume designer will be like, OK, I'll just do the exact same costume for everyone. Because as we know, us humans, we all wear identical matching uniforms wherever we yeah. go, don't we? There's absolutely no variation. Um, and it's and the made same even. Cuts. Yeah, same haircuts, and it's made even worse in this era of Doctor Who because we're still at the stage where everybody has to speak with a uh, posh BBC accent. So all of the Tharals talk exactly like this. We shall have a reasoned debate with one another. Yes, my friend, and we are all the same height and have more or less the same uh, face, in addition to identical theatrical voices. <laughs> and... It makes it genuinely very hard to tell them apart. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, so Susan gives everyone the medicine. Aladdin wants peace with the Daleks. And then, this is my favourite bit of episode three the Daleks are horrible. Except this one, who is serving a nice tray of tea. <laughs> yeah. He just comes in with a little tray. I didn't know they could do that That with their funny little arms.
0: They're they're so... Like... We definitely... There is so... Part of me almost wishes that we could go back to this level of nuance with the Daleks. Because genuinely, they are trying to play on the fact... That we these this is a new species we're just encountering the doctors encountering for the first time, and we don't know whether we can trust them or not. You know, are they any more or less trustworthy than the Thals? Who are we to say? We of course now this is what I was coming back to what I was saying earlier. Now, almost every single person who ever watches this story is coming into it already knowing the Daleks as these. Uh, you know, zealot-like space Nazis, where it's like, of course he can't trust the Daleks. And it actually, it doesn't take that long for that to develop. There is, uh, Patrick Troughton's first ever story, The Power of the Daleks, very much plays on this notion that we as the audience know that you cannot trust the Daleks, but the other characters in that story don't have that knowledge. Um, <coughs> but... It's weird watching this one and being like, oh, come on, they're Daleks. Of course you can't trust them. But it takes us, like, three episodes to get to that point here.
1: So this Dalek serving the tea also wants peace. But how did it know anyone wanted peace in the first place? It's because they're being spied on. Yeah. Um... We learn that the Thals were once warriors and the Daleks were the academics. Uh, We get a massive, massive politics scene from the Thals.
0: Yeah. Then
1: we get a massive scene whilst the Daleks dictate their terms to Susan, who writes the whole things down.
0: Really slowly as well.
1: Yeah. And then she has to explain that her name (coughs) is Susan, and that's why she wrote (coughs) it down suzanne mm. it goes on oh, i hate it uh yeah. ian and the doctor pretend to have a fight so they can turn off dalek security and they work out that daleks are static powered yeah you know like that's a big discovery but it doesn't play into anything until four episodes later when you've forgotten about it yeah uh the Thals read the Dalek terms. The Dalek brings the Doctor food again, but this time they block the door. Uh, they shove the Dalek about for a bit and incapacitate uh, it. Now,
0: this is something I did want to touch on because it's some—it's something that genuinely I can say unreservedly. I want RTD to bring this back.
1: What, just I love Daleks around.
0: Yeah, I love in classic Doctor Who, uh, a good bit of Dalek roughhousing. Yeah. You know, sling some mud in its eye, shove it in a lake. You know, whack it with a baseball bat. Don't care what it is. I, I, I just love when we get we get this reminder that they are still ultimately ridiculous, big, lumpy tin cans. And yes, they've got a deadly weapon attached to them, but that shouldn't mean... I, I kind of don't like it when they get to this level of being almost godlike and, and it's only some, you know, incredible scheme from the Doctor that can that can stop even a single Dalek. I like the idea that a handful of resourceful people working together could still take out an individual Dalek yeah. on a good day. I'm not saying that... They, that I don't think that takes away from their threat level. You know, that can still be done really well. And I think, you know, with a a modern budget, you could make a really exciting scene out of something like that. But also, it's just funny watching them fall over, isn't it? (laughs) So, yeah, give us that.
1: So they take out the Dalek and Ian climbs inside. Now, we don't actually see the Dalek really do we?
0: We get a little sort of a hint of a blob under a cloak, and again, I really love the moment i because I think this this is I don't think this is just sexism but i I love the way it speaks about um Ian's character and his generation where he sort of asks he looks inside the Dalek and then he finds an excuse to get Barbara and Susan away mm-hmm. and brings the Doctor in to come and do- deal with this because he's he's basically concluded, the ladies don't need to see this, yeah. you know. And, and, like, yeah, with Modern Eyes, that might come across as a bit sexist. But it is... I feel like Ian's very, you know, got very pure motivations there. So, yeah, I I like those little moments like that.
1: Um, Right. We're now on to The Ambush. Yeah. Episode four. This is the one I've written least for.
0: Yeah, I'll be honest, this is where I think we really hit a turning point with this story. And this is the point where I just get extremely bored and want it to be over.
1: Right. so they get in a lift and the Daleks realise it's a trap Ian is stuck inside the Daleks so the Daleks cut through the door leaving Ian behind as everybody else escapes eventually the Daleks blast his shell that he's hiding in but it turns out he's escaped Uh, from atop the building they they just narrate an entire story that's happening just off camera (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so they see the yeah. thal approach this is the first time we get use of the word exterminated not exterminate just yet. no
0: i don't think i don't think exterminate gets said ever in this story
1: no i think every as an time individual it's exterminated
0: yeah i think it's not until the second dalek story the dalek's invasion of earth that we get an actual exterminate
1: well, the Thals attempt to broker peace, so the Daleks just kill them. Ian goes yep. to warn the Thals, and eventually the Doctor's Party just live amongst them. Uh, mm-hmm. We find out that the Daleks used to be Dals. Yeah. At, at which point does that get retconned into the Carlits?
0: Uh, Genesis of the Daleks, I think.
1: And, and the Which again get,
0: was written, written by Terry Nation, so he's just completely contradicting his own continuity.
1: Yeah, does anything happen with the files? Do they do they reappear?
0: Oh god, um, I don't think they do Good. on screen. I'm right. sure Big Finish has done a load of stuff with them. Um, obviously, they're a key feature in the uh, Cushing film, which is non-canonical. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I could be wrong about that. There might be some classic Who story I'm I'm forgetting that uses Thals again, but uh, off the top right. of my head, no. Uh,
1: and this episode ends. It turns out the Daleks have taken the TARDIS part from Ian. Now I wrote that, and I think what they've actually taken is the drug. Right. Uh, I can't really remember, I was zoning in and out Right, part 5 The Expedition Mm -hmm. The Daleks duplicate the drugs so they can now live outside in the radiation I believe Uh, Ian says he won't ask the Thals to get involved because they refuse to fight another war Yeah. Uh, Ian then says well give me your history because there's a massive conversation about the history of the Thals but yeah. I'll go trade it with the Daleks. Uh, Aladdin hits Ian.
0: Just, yeah. Just
1: makes no sense. And there's a well, horrible no- toxic lake.
0: Okay, so that whole scene, I, I do think that's a pretty crucial one for understanding Terry Nation's motivations behind the writing of this story. Okay. So let's think about... The generation that Terry Nation is from, he is from a generation that has directly lived through the Second World War. May well, I, I don't, I don't know enough about his own personal history. I don't know what familial connections he might even have to uh, the events of the First World War. Um, but basically, you know, there was this debate, a broader debate going on. This is the 1960s. We've got the, the rise of the sort of uh, student protest movements and stuff around the corner. And so you've got this debate between the generation that lived through the war basically saying, no, sometimes you've got to stand up to bullies and hippies saying, why can't everybody just love each other?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that, that was a generational tension. And I think we're seeing that being probed in this scene and in this story. And Ian is kind of almost the surrogate for people like Tony Nation who have this direct experience of the war. And who basically ultimately come down on the side of some things are worth fighting to protect. You may not like it, but... That's the reality. If you never, if you're never willing to take up arms, sooner or later, bullies are going to take advantage of that, um, and that's what. But that's what uh, Ian is trying to do initially. He 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 threatens their recorded history, and you, it says, "I'll use that as a bargaining chip." That doesn't provoke him, and then in, in classics 60s, slightly sexist style, he then uh, basically says, "Well, what if I just take." This uh, the what again, the one speaking woman who <laughs> you know. Yeah. There are several women, but only ones ever given any speaking lines in the story. <coughs> so he says, "Well, maybe I'll just take her and, and use her as a as a sort of bargaining chip instead." And that's when the punch happens, and oh, Ian's sure. like, "Aha!" Yeah. So there is something it, you'll I fight for. Um so it 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 does it does I, I think it's a it's an important scene that one and it's worth acknowledging that. Because yeah, this is that's the moment at which we kind of crystallise well if that's the debate happening then the Daleks here they are our space Nazis. And and that is obviously a very key facet in understanding them going forwards in the wider world of Doctor Who.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a horrible toxic lake, and they realise if they cross it, they can attack from the rear of the city, and the Daleks yeah. will never suspect a thing. Uh, the Daleks plan to alter the environment so that they may survive. Uh, Aladdin leads the Thals to assist, uh, assist the Doctor, and we find out that the radiation drugs kill the Daleks. So yeah. everyone heads through the swamp, and it's full of creatures.
0: Yeah. This is all just full-on padding at yeah. this point. Yeah. Pretty much everything between now and the last sort of ten minutes of the story is, is just playing for time.
1: Right. Well, I, I said part four was where I was at <laughs> least. I think part six, maybe. Uh, I might yeah. as well read this all in one go because I've written so little. Uh, big Whirlpool kills a Thal, Daleks plan to build a bomb, lots of walking through caves, Thal has a crisis of confidence, mm-hmm. they enter the city and find the power supply, so the Doctor smashes it to bits with his cane.
0: The Daleks approach... Can, 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 we, we need to pause on that moment for a second, because that's Hartnall's best scene in the, in the uh, whole story, surely.
1: It's the only one where he does anything.
0: But uh, it's it's the glee with which he does it as well. He's a proper little vandal.
1: Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he's not had that cane with him for the full story. Where's he with yeah. that from?
0: <laughs> Who knows?
1: Um, so, yeah, he smashes it to bits. Daleks approach. Barbara and Ian are still in the cave. And the Daleks plan to bombard the planet with radiation. Yeah. Except they plan to do it tomorrow. <laughs> No urgency to this plan. No. Right. So that is part six done with. We're finally on to the final part. Part seven, yeah. the rescue. Uh, Ian has some cave drama and his mate falls to his death. Yeah. Okay. They finally make it out the cave and I've just written, what are the doctor and Susan doing?
0: <laughs> it's a good question oh, worth, worth noting as well with the cave scenes did you spot the moment where uh, oh, I forget it Ian or Barbara one of them accidentally pulls off a chunk of the polystyrene cave wall oh, really? Yeah, so it's like it's just polystyrene that's been painted over. And when they're doing the jumping across the chasm, one of them lands and grabs onto it, and then it just kind of comes off in their hand. So that there's this big white spot oh, on the wow. cave wall, but <laughs> they just can't do anything about it. They just have to go along with it, and it's there for the rest of the scene. Just um, leave it as it is. Yeah.
1: So the Doctor offers. Daleks the TARDIS Mm -hmm. and he says well actually I could just build you another one you can travel all of time and space Um, everyone sneaks about for a bit yeah Uh, the Daleks attempt to lock down the city but Barbara gets stuck under a door for a bit (laughs) yeah this is the great bit when they count down to drop the bomb it starts at like 50 and it's not 50 seconds. It's just a countdown that goes on for about three or four minutes. Ruins the whole Something like that. of the episode. Um, so Barbara throws a rock at a Dalek. Where did she get it from? That might be from the cave.
0: Yeah, just pocketed a few rocks just in case.
1: So Thals fight the Daleks. Everyone reunites. Ian kicks a Dalek away. I thought that was quite good.
0: Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. Give us a bit of that, RTD. Um,
1: thals denounce technology. Everybody wants to go fix the TARDIS. Uh, the Doctor says Scaro soil, is capable of growing food. So the Thals are in a good place. Everyone says goodbye, and the TARDIS leaves. Yeah. Honestly, I, it's been a long... Like, when we watch Torchwood, That's always a slog, but at least I know it's only 45 minutes. When I was (laughs) three episodes in, and I thought, this is awful, I can't wait for it to be done. Honestly, it was heartbreaking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is a slog. It is a slog, this one. Seven episodes. You've got to have a damn good story to be telling over that length of time. And this one it doesn't sustain the momentum it'll be really interesting um I don't know whether wolf we'll finish to f- fit it in later this year or not um I don't know how interested you are in in uh doing the the Cushing movie which is which is an adaptation of this story but you know it's 90 minutes uh it's yeah, Technicolor
1: it'd be fun to see how it yeah you know compares.
0: Well, maybe we'll try and make sure we get that on the schedule for this year so that um, it's a bit fresher in your memory then. Yeah. Because I'm looking forward to revisiting uh, that. <coughs> so, yeah. um, But we've got, we've got a while before we get there. Next time, listeners, we're going to be discussing Doctor Who Redacted. Yeah, I'm excited uh, for
1: this.
0: Yeah, today, probably the most... The most recent official Doctor Who media that we have not yet covered on the podcast, uh, and uh, unless you uh, you include the uh, Doomsday trailer, which we did touch on, but we haven't we haven't devoted a full episode mm. to breaking that down yet.
1: No, we'll get there in time. <laughs> we, will,
0: we will we'll we'll do that one after we do our our Bernie Summerfield special. Um, but yeah so so uh, dig that out listeners Doctor Who Redacted maybe you listened to it already maybe this will give you the nudge you need to finally get around to listening to it as is the case with me I think I listened to the first two when it came out then I got distracted <laughs> feeling oh, like a bit guilty about any. it uh, I'm looking forward to it um, so uh, as always uh, until then as always thanks ever so much listening and until next time
1: cheerio bye now thank you for listening to neither the time nor the space if you wish to contact us our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on twitter we are at timenorspacepod
0: And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.